Well, Happy New Year, everyone. This certainly wasn't the way that we thought we would kick off the new year with another online service, but been there, done that. We believe it was necessary, however, to go online because of the current uh, health crisis that we're facing, and we hope to do it for just a few weeks. Uh, and there are several things I want you to know here at the, at the top of the message. First, uh, since the pandemic began, we don't know of a single person who contracted COVID here at our church. Right? To our knowledge, there has been zero spread here at SBCC in the last 22 months, and we are so very thankful for that. We do know of a lot of people who have gotten sick, who have tested positive. However, we've been in contact with everyone, and to our knowledge, none of them uh, contracted the virus here, were infected here, but they were infected elsewhere. So we appreciate you when you come to church, that you're always wearing a mask, and we want to encourage you to do so even when we return. Second thing, I, I want you to know about a very simple principle that has guided our leadership team as we have made decisions throughout these last 22 months. And it's a principle that comes in the form of a question. And the question isn't, what does the government say? Or what does the polls say? What do the polls say? But the question is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Pastor Andy Stanley called it the best question ever. What is the wise thing to do after you've laid out all the facts? What is the wise thing to do in light of your circumstances? What is the wise thing to do in terms of what you want to see for yourself and for the people that you care about? I believe the answer to this question can keep us from making decisions that we will regret later on. I also believe that it will help us to assess the long-term consequences before we take, make an action, and, we, and that's often overlooked in favor of short-term rewards. So that is the question that has guided us in all the decisions that we have made. What is the wise thing to do? And our leadership team, I want you to know that our leadership team has given uh, this current breaking surge, uh, we thought that it was just wise not to gather in person because of what's going on here, at least for two weeks. So the third thing I want you to know is that I have never been more certain, and I can speak for all the pastors, but we have never been more certain than we are today that the church uh, was intended for us to gather in person. Um, I believe it is crucial for our spiritual well-being to gather in person as the family of God, to worship him, to hear the instruction of God's word, to fellowship with one another, to love on each other, to encourage one another, and to serve the Lord together. And as I have said before, the church is not 75 minutes of screen time. Therefore, as soon as the COVID numbers begin to trend the other way, we will resume in-person services. And it was our hope that that would be next weekend, but it doesn't look like it. It doesn't appear that we'll be able to do that next weekend. So as of right now, next weekend, we are planning to meet online, not in person. And if things change, we will let you know. Now, if you have never received an e-news from us in the past, I want to invite you to click on the link that's posted on the platform on, on which you're watching this message or service. And if you will go there and provide us your contact information, uh, we will be able to communicate with you. And we are also planning to use text messaging as a way to reach you. Uh, as you know, um, you received 
dozens and dozens of text messages every single day. And I promise you, this is my promise to you, that we won't text you from the church unless it is of paramount importance. So we're not going to be texting you notifications every single week about service times or this or that. Uh, we will only text you when it is uh, of very consequential nature that we have to get a hold of you. And of course, you can always unsubscribe at any time. And I want you to know that we will never share your contact information with anyone outside the church. So if you don't text or if you don't do email, and there's some of you who don't do that, you can always call our office and give us your contact information or update your contact information. And whenever we have an important bit of news to share with you, we will contact you personally by phone. We will give you a call to let you know what's going on. So if you can go to that link and give us your update, your contact information or give it to us. If you don't think we have it, please do that. Now, there isn't any question that we are living in some very dark and uncertain days. And the worst part about it is there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. But today I'm kicking off a brand new series here called Now What? Now what? I mean, you could, we could title this series, Where Do We Go From Here? Or How Then Shall We Live in These Dark and Uncertain Times? Well, believe it or not, the Holy Scriptures were written often in the face of bad news. And the backdrop, the backdrop for much of what is written in the Bible is adversity and hardship and war and famine and social upheaval and uncertainty. And so the answer to the question, now what, can be found in the Bible. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be uh, delving into God's word in search of the answer, now what? Now what do we do? All right, so before I get into today's message, I want to open up our time in a word of prayer. And as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to invite you to take a moment to commit this new year, 2022, into the Lord's hands and ask him to take your hand and lead us, lead you and guide you through these very tumultuous times. All right, so let's pray together. Well, Father, we never imagined that we would be here once again. And Lord God, you know, I, I know that for many, many people, this is just um, really has sent them reeling. And, and um, we certainly don't want to be here uh, doing church online. But Lord, right now, we just want to come before you. And we want to commit 2022 to you. You know all things. You know what, how this year is going to pan out for us. Father, you are in control of all things. And we want to commit the year to you. But not only that, Father, will, will you take us by the hand? And will you lead us? Will you make certain that our hearts remain completely devoted to you no matter what happens? And Father, in every decision that everyone out there listening to, uh, listening to this message every decision they make, will you always help them to remember what is the wise thing to do and help, help us as a church to always remember that as well. What is the wise thing to do as we make decisions for your body here? So, Father, will you today give us some insight, give us some encouragement on now what? What do we do now? How do we go forward from here into the new year? So, thank you, Father. Speak to us through your word, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on December 17, 1927, this Navy submarine, the USS S-4, carrying 40 sailor, sailors, was uh, doing some exercise and training drills right off of Provincetown, Massachusetts, when it was accidentally rammed by a Coast Guard cutter, approximately at 3.37 p.m. December 17, 1927. 
The cutter's bow sliced into the sub's hull, sending it to the bottom of the bay within minutes. And the captain of the cutter immediately sent out a distress signal, lowered life rafts in, uh, in search of survivors, but none was found. Here's the headline from the New York Times. The situation on board the sub was dire. Salt water immediately flooded the battery compartment and it mixed with the battery acid, forming a toxic chlorine gas. Uh, the sub also filled with cold seawater, freezing cold seawater. A ventilation duct running between the battery room and the control room remained open and soon the pressure of the water forced the deadly gas into the compartment where 34 of the 40 sailors managed to gather. The control room filled with thousands of gallons of freezing water. Men retreated into the engine room and then into the motor room, but not before the water completely shorted out the switchboards, which knocked out all of the power to the sub. And now it was completely pitch black inside that 231-foot sub. As for the other six men, they, they were perilously, perilously trapped in the torpedo room. More than 100 feet below, them rescue or mother uh, more than 100 feet above them rather rescue ships and divers were dispatched to the scene but they didn't arrive until the next day because of a growing nor'easter that made the seas treacherous finally the next day at 1:45 p.m. a diver named Thomas Eady descended into the cold atlantic after locating the sub he began wrapping on the hull in search of survivors when he wrapped on the torpedo loading hatch he was met with six slow raps in reply. Indicating that six men were still alive. But as he continued to the back of the sub, his taps were met with silence. The 34 men in the engine room didn't survive the night. In the hours that followed, the six survivors communicated by Morse code uh, with their would-be rescuers. They asked their rescuers to send messages to their loved ones and family. Meanwhile, the admiral in charge of the rescue operation scrambled frantically and unsuccessfully to get air down to the men. And in a decision that, feel, uh, that sealed their fate, he called off the operation because the seas were too rough for a rescue attempt to be made. Before the rescuers retreated to the ships on the surface, the men in the doomed sub tapped out one final message to the world outside. Here's what it was. When it was decoded, it turned out to be this question. Is there any hope? That's what the six men wanted to know. Is there any hope? Perhaps that's a question you've been asking yourself lately. Is there any hope? You know, nearly 300 years ago, a poet named Alexander Pope wrote that hope springs eternal. But sometimes it doesn't seem like it. Maybe you find yourself finding it hard to hold on to hope during this pandemic. Or maybe you wonder if there's any hope for your marriage. Maybe hope is fading fast for you that you'll ever get married or that you'll ever have children. 
or that you'll ever make friends at school or that you'll make the team or get into that school of your dreams. Maybe the loss of a loved one has dashed all of your hopes and you wake up every morning not even wanting to wake up. Maybe you wonder if there's any hope in your battle against cancer or heart heart disease or depression or alcoholism or drugs. And the bad news just keeps on coming and you keep wondering, is there any hope? It's an important question because it's been said that man can live on 40 days without food. He can live on three days without water. He can live for eight minutes without air, but he can't live one second without hope. We all need hope. So what is hope? Well, according to the online dictionary, hope is, quote, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. I'll put that definition up here for you. For example, you might say, I hope my son goes to Pepperdine after he graduates from high school. Or I hope my boss gives me a raise. Or I hope it doesn't rain on Friday. When we say these things, the honest truth is we don't know if it will happen or not, what we hope will happen or not. In a sense, the dictionary definition of hope is wishful thinking. It is always accompanied by a sense of uncertainty. You don't know whether what you're hoping for will come to pass. Now let me give you the biblical definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope takes the dictionary definition of hope and ratchets it up a notch. Biblical hope is not feeling Uh, not only a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, but it is the expectation that it will happen. It will happen. Notice the difference as I put the two definitions side by side. The difference between the two definitions is God. Without God, hope is only wishful thinking or it is a sunny disposition. But with God, hope becomes a certainty. You know, if there was anyone who knew what hope was or who who had the reason to ask whether there was any hope was Job. You might be familiar with Job and his story. I love the way Pastor Chuck Swindoll described Job. He wrote that Job was a man of unparalleled and genuine piety. He was also a man of well-deserved prosperity. He was a godly gentleman, extremely wealthy, a fine husband, and a faithful father. And then he adds, In a quick and brutal sweep of back-to-back calamities, Job was reduced to a twisted mass of brokenness and grief. The extraordinary accumulation of disasters that hit him would have been enough to finish off any one of us today. Job is left bankrupt, homeless, helpless, and childless. He's left standing beside the ten fresh graves of his now-dead children in a windswept valley. His wife is heaving, heaving deep sobs of grief as she kneels beside him. She leans over and strictly, secretly whispers, why don't you just curse God and die? See, Job's life was a train wreck. His life was so unbearably difficult that his own wife told him to curse God and die. And you know what's noteworthy about Job's life? It's that he never once asked, is there any hope? You know why he didn't ask it? It's because he, knew, he already knew the answer. He knew the answer was yes. Of course there's hope, 100% there's hope. If you take a look at Job 13, verse 15, you'll see it plain as day. Job 13, 15, he said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. And I like the amplified translation. translation. Job said, even though God kills me, I will hope in him. Job lost everything. He lost everything he had. 
lost his family, lost his health, he lost his job, he lost all of his earthly possessions. There was nothing left to take except his life. And he said that even if he lost his life, he would still hope in God. Why? Because God was the only sure thing that he had in this life. As one of Job's friends reminded him in Job eleven eighteen, and you will feel secure because there is hope. See, God was Job's only security, his only guarantee, and that's true for us as well. After everything is stripped away from us, God is all that we have. He is all that we have. He is our only hope. Everything else is fleeting. Now, many years ago, I served on the alumni board at Pepperdine, and I became with a good friends, friends with a man I'll call Bob. And Bob was kind of a wheeler and dealer. He was young and energetic and passionate. And what he was most passionate about was becoming rich. And every time I saw him, we would, he would talk to me about some new deal that he was putting together, and he wanted me to become a partner with him in these new deals because he wanted access to my connections at City Hall. There was a period of time when I would speak with Bob almost daily, and I gave him the, name, the nickname Moneybags uh, because all he seemed to care about was money. One day I told him that I was thinking about starting a church and, and that didn't dissuade him. He said, oh great, you can be a pastor and also make lots of money on the side. Well, I eventually lost touch with Bob. And then several years ago, I decided to Google his name and see what he was up to. I hadn't seen him for over 20 years. The first thing that came up was an article about how he died in his sleep in 2012 at the age of 51. And I was stunned. His death made the papers because he had become a mover and a shaker, which was not surprising to me. And by the looks of it all, he did very, very well for himself. All I can hope is that Bob put his faith in Jesus. But sadly, most people don't. They put their hope in the things of this world, like money or houses or cars or their material possessions. Or maybe they hang their hope on education. Every, education is everything. It's all about getting a good education. Or maybe they fix their hope on their careers or their jobs. Or they put their hope in finding love. They put their hope, it's all wrapped up in their kids. Or maybe their hope is in a vaccine or a chemotherapy treatment. Or their hope may be in a stash of weapons and ammo that's hidden away in their closet. Or their hope may be in a political ideology or a particular candidate who they think is going to come and write in and save the day. And by the way, that's exactly how the Antichrist will rise to power because people will think that he will come in and save the world. Who or what have you put your hope in? What is your hope in? The truth is, all of these things are fleeting. It's all fleeting. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 33, verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation by its great might it cannot rescue. So don't put your hope in the things of this world. That's the idea. And that's not to say you can't go out and make money. That's not to say you can't go out and buy a house and you can't put a premium on education and start a family and get a vaccine or care about who wins the next election, but it mustn't be where we put our hope. The only one worth putting our hope in is Jesus because he is the only sure thing, the only guarantee that we have in this life. The writer of the book of Hebrews said it this way in reference to the Lord, Hebrews 6, 19. He said, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, you see, God is the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. David put it this way in Psalm 62, verse 5. He said, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. 
He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Isn't that great? He only is our rock. God only is our rock. God only is our salvation. He only is our fortress. He only is our mighty rock. He only is our refuge, and everything else is fleeting. So put your hope in God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So put your hope in God. And do you know why God is our hope? Well, it's because God is with us. For one, God is with you. It's like this young man who decided one day he he didn't want to live anymore. He wanted to end his life. For, for whatever reason, he didn't want to live. And so he went to the top of a pedestrian bridge and climbed over the fence and decided to jump to his death. But as soon as he climbed over, he was spotted by a bunch of p- pedestrians who were crossing the same bridge, and they ran over to him, and they pleaded with him not to jump. And, they, and, and to give him an idea how significant his life was, one of the guys grabbed his legs, and one of the guys grabbed his belt, and another guy Another guy got some rope and started tying it all around him to hold him back. And another guy wrapped his arms around his neck and just held on to him and, until somebody called the fire department. According to the papers, they held, they held on to him for over an hour while first responders moved a hydraulic lift into place so that they could lower him to the ground. Those people were that man's hope. And this is a beautiful illustration of how God is our hope. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our help in trouble. He is there for you when you're isolated. He is there for you when you are alone. He is there for you when you're feeling anxious and depressed. He is there for you when you are tired. He is there for you when you are stricken with grief. And Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. His, in his presence, we are truly safe. And in Psalm 91, verse 4, says, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And I like the passion translation of this verse. It's more of a paraphrase, but it says this, his massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you, and you can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, protecting, keeping you from harm. So God God wraps his massive arms around you and around your neck and around your body and even around your legs, and he will never let you go. And that's why he is your hope. God is our hope because he is always with you, no matter what, no matter how bad things get. No matter how bad things get, get, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil, for God is with you. God is with us. By the way, if you ever thought of taking your life, don't, don't do that. If every person in our church saw you ready to jump over birds, every person in this church would run over to you and grab onto you and hold on to you because your life is so important and so significant. And if that's something that you're thinking about, then talk to somebody, talk to one of our pastors. I call a suicide hotline, but don't take your life because you matter to God and you matter to us. You know, several years ago, my daughters got me for Christmas a one-of-a-kind Funko Pop. It was called the Shiohominator. It looked like this. And uh, they did it in, in remembrance of the fact that back in 2007, I did a series here at church called Judgment Day. And it was about the judgment of God. And to promote the series, we came up with 
the Shield Hominator poster looked like this right here. And for the fun of it, we, we changed the name of the character of the Terminator to the Shield Hominator. And we even made a video. Our video team put a funny uh, a promotional video together. And at the risk of embarrassing myself, let me show it to you from 15 years ago. Take a look. My favorite line from the movie was, I'll be back. Remember that? I'll be back. And the obvious reason why I love that line is because it's what the scriptures repeatedly tell us about what Jesus is going to do, and that is he's going to come back. Jesus is coming back. The second reason why you should put your hope in God is because Jesus is coming back. And here's how that's going to happen, and I'll make it real short for you. If you want more details, you can check out any one of our messages on, on the end times. We have a bunch of them on YouTube at SBCC Live. But at the end of the age, just to summarize it for you, at the end of the age, Jesus said that he will return back to earth in all of his glory. Luke 21, 27, Jesus said, and, when they, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I mean, this is the direct quote from Jesus. And this event is called the second coming. Seven years before Jesus' second coming, he is going to descend from heaven to earth and he'll meet us in the clouds and he will rapture the church. Seven years before his second coming, he's going to take the church up, which means he's going to gather up the church and he will take us home to be with him. This could happen at any moment and this could happen in our lifetime and I hope it does. And we could be alive, we could be sitting around doing something and all of a sudden Jesus will come and he'll take us home. And all of God's children, after all of God's children are lifted up off the planet, all hell is going to break loose on planet Earth for all those that are left behind. And during this period, the Antichrist will rise to power. People will go from bad to worse, if you can believe that. The Antichrist will form a one-world government, and he will form a one-world economy in which everyone will be required to take the mark of the beast. I believe that some of the things that we're seeing here today is, a, is table setting, setting you know, the table for what's, what's to come. Well, during these seven years, God will begin to pour out his judgment on the earth. Jesus will open up the scroll, and one seal at a time, he'll open it up, and calamity will befall the globe. And then the final event, the final event before the second coming, is when all the nations of the world will gather together for the battle of Armageddon to attack Israel. And right when it appears that Israel will be annihilated by the Antichrist and by the enemies of the world, Jesus will return in all of his glory. He will come in all of his glory. 
and he will destroy the enemies of God and establish his kingdom on earth. That, in a nutshell, how it's all going to go down, and I know I left out a million details, but Jesus is coming again. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2. He said, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Here it is. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we wait. We wait for our blessed hope to come. Jesus is our hope. And do you know what will happen when he comes? Do you know what will happen? First, we will see Jesus face to face. When he comes, we will see him face to face. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. Let me ask you something. How do you think you're going to react when you see Jesus for the first time face to face? How do you think you will react? I have an idea how I will react. I will probably cry endlessly tears of joy like this, this emoji right here. How will you react? So first, we will see Jesus face to face. Second, if you look at this verse again, it says that when we see him, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, which means we're going to get a new nature. And what is, what is Jesus like? Well, he is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. He is pure, which means if we're going to be like him, it means we're never going to think another sinful thought. There will never be another moral failure in our lives. You will never experience another temptation or give into it. All of your emotional brokenness will evaporate. It will be gone and you will be perfect. You'll be just like Jesus in your nature. Third, when we see him, we will receive a new body. This is one I can't wait for. Philippians 3, verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. We're waiting for him who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I love this. This means that I will get a new pair of eyes. I will be able to see. I will have 20-20 vision without a, an implant and this one out of, without a contact and this one without astigmatism in both eyes. I won't have acid reflex any longer and I will have perfect teeth, no cavities. I won't ever have to worry about my cancer coming back. My worn out knees won't hurt anymore every time I climb stairs. I won't be forgetful any longer. I'll remember your name the first time I hear it. And speaking of hearing, my ears won't ring anymore like my phone does. And when Cheryl says something, I won't have to say to her, what did you say again? And I will look like a hot K-pop star, actually better, because I will have a glorified body. Fourth, when I see Jesus, I'll be home. We'll be home. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven. We will be at home. You see, earth is not our home. Torrance is not your home. PV is not your home. San Gabriel Valley is not your home. Orange County is not your home. Heaven is our home. And what I want more than anything else 
is to fill my home in heaven with, with you. I want you to be there. I want my family to be there. I want you to be there so we can hang out forever and ever without having to wear a mask, without forgetting someone's name. I want to hang out with you without sin, without COVID, without cancer, without Alzheimer's, without any constraints of time, without any constant worry. I want to do that, and we can do that when we're home. Lastly, when we see our blessed hope, life will finally be as God intended for it to be from the very beginning, and that's perfect, like the Garden of Eden. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There will be never-ending joy and pleasure in God's presence in heaven. Revelation 21.4 says, All the tears, all our tears will be wiped away, and there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more pain. Hallelujah. And that's why God is our hope. So, now what? Well, now what? We wait. We put our hope in God. No matter what it is you're going through, you put your hope in God. And if you put your hope in God, it will change everything. It will change everything. It will change your attitude and perspective uh, on life and suffering. It will give you a renewed sense of purpose and meaning that this is not all that there is to life. And it will give you peace and strength and courage to face each and every day. So in answer to the sailor's question, is there any hope? Here is the answer. God is our hope. I hope that you'll look to him and put your trust in him. Let's close our time in prayer. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, wherever you're at, of course, you're driving. If you're listening to this while you're driving, don't close your eyes. But wherever you're at, a question I would ask you is, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you put your hope in him? If you haven't, then you should do that today. Tell him the very first thing you want to pray is just say, God, I, I, I give you my life. I believe that Jesus was your son. I want to ask him to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I put my trust in him. Say that to him. It all begins there. And then for all of you who are out there, and answer the question, now what? As we face another surge, as we face uncertainties in this new year, now what? Put your hope in God. God is our hope. Well, Father, thank you for the encouragement that comes from your word. That even in the face of turmoil, even in the face of adversity and uncertainty, that your people, even Job, put his hope in you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to do the very same thing. And answer the question, now what? Help us to put our hope in you. Father, because you are the only thing that is not fleeting. Everything else we put our hope in will vanish away one day. Everything we put our hope in is meaningless and hopeless, but you are not, for you are God. And Lord, for all the things that our church is going through, for all the things that the people out there who are watching and listening are going through, God, be our hope. Take our hands, open our eyes, 
to who you are. Keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to put our hope in you. And I know, Lord, you will never let us down. And one day you will show up and we will see you face to face. And our hearts will be filled with joy and with peace and with forever eternal life as as you intended to be. But until that day, God, help us to keep looking up. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.